If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our Spring Fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardenersworldfair.com. See you there. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Do you have weak, damaged hair? New Garnier Fructis hair filler systems fill hair with strength seven layers deep. In just one use, you can reverse up to one year of damage to hair smoothness. The sulfate-free hair filler plus vitamin CG system gives you up to 79% stronger hair and up to four times less breakage. New Garnier Fructis hair filler is available now on Amazon and at Walmart, Target, Ulta, Drug, and select grocery stores. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Just because you're working out doesn't mean you shouldn't look fabulous. The Inspire Collection by Kalia was designed with both style and performance in mind. It looks good, feels good, and stays put no matter how you move. And the collection has everything you need for a day at the gym. A support bra, crop tanks, bike shorts, amazing leggings, and more. It's their most versatile collection yet. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. This is your typical radio ad while eating a Crunch Bar. This is Automatic of Auto's Used Cars. This weekend only, we're having a whale! Bring the kids. See for yourself. It is huge. Gonna make a big splash. No other dealer can say they have a whale like this. When things sound dull... Turn up the fun with Crunch. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. It's the week of the RHS Chelsea Flower Show, arguably the most famous flower show in the world bringing together the very best growers, nurseries and, of course, garden designers. No other horticultural event compares. For many, the show gardens are the highlight of Chelsea, with their big budgets and big ideas. But just what does go into these headline-making creations? What's it like to design a garden for Chelsea? Hello, I'm Kevin, and a few weeks ago I caught up with multi-gold medal-winning Chelsea designer Sarah Price. Sarah's designing a show garden this year, and when we chatted, final plans were beginning to slot into place with the event creeping up fast. I was keen to know firsthand what it's like to create a garden at Chelsea, so I started by asking Sarah that very question. It's an incredible privilege to be at Chelsea. It is so famous. It's funny, but when you're in the industry, you forget about that side of it. It's more about the coming together of people who have a passion for plants and for creativity. And 
it's not something I go to every year necessarily. So it's a really big occasion for everyone to get together and to catch up. And it might be 10 years, seven years, one year since you last saw everyone. But there is a sort of Chelsea community and every year is different. So it's basically incredibly nerve wracking, but very, very exciting. Yeah, I mean, I can sense a little bit of that myself. You know, I've been fortunate enough to to go for however long I've been working in the gardening media industry and there's nothing like it. You know, as you, you're strolling down Main Avenue and you see, as you exactly as you say, people you haven't seen for a long time, it's, you know, catching up with friends. It's lovely. And there is a buzz. There's just a buzz that you don't get elsewhere, isn't there? Absolutely. There's a buzz. There's nerves. There's It's intense. And that's why it's so exciting. You, you know, you walk down at the beginning and it, it's like a construction site. It smells a bit of diesel. It's really, really noisy. And you're thinking, how on earth can we transform these unlikely plots? And you become so sucked into creating your own garden that it might be a few days before you walk down the road again. And then, you know, you start to really see the changes and the development of, of the gardens. I really love the backstage part of Chelsea. And it feels almost a bit sad, dare I say it, coming when I don't exhibit because you've missed out on so much of the experience of making. When does all that begin? I mean, you know, I'm aware that certainly the big gardens, they take a while to put together, don't they? So, you know, not just the construction process and the planting and everything, but the whole process. I mean, when when does it begin? I mean, you obviously have the, the Nurture Landscapes Garden this year. When did that story and process begin? Really, it began as an idea in 2015. Oh, so that long ago. Wow. It's a wow. long time. Yes, yeah. um, a few years before I, I, I was last at Chelsea in 2018. But I had this sort of idea in 2015 when I actually visited the show and I was in the pavilion and I saw Sarah Cook, who used to be head gardener of Sissinghurst, and her amazing display of Benton irises and plants grown by Cedric Morris. And it it really was my highlight that year because I'd never seen Benton irises before. And I mean, their colours and their poise, they're very elegant, very graceful. And the colours are incredibly hard to describe, kind of like burnt browns and mustardy gold yellows and purples very rich they really blew my mind and I just thought wow wouldn't this be incredible to create a garden using these these incredible irises that um Sarah Cook has managed to kind of track down when looking at that I just started to become interested in Cedric Morris the artist plantsman and his legacy really in a very loose way just just drawn by the colours of the palette. And so you have these ideas that kind of float around in your head, waiting for the right opportunity. And then quite by chance, I visited Benton End in Suffolk um, maybe four years ago. And I actually went to the garden that Cedric Morris gardened and painted in and ran his art school in. And um, I loved it because I arrived at that moment in spring where everything is kind of unfurling and all these huge swathes of fritillaries and leucodium and were coming up through the grass like a medieval kind of tapestry, like a medieval mead. And um, that 
made me really think, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to do something inspired by this garden? I mean, I was going to say that was that, you know, 2015, when you first started, you know, having this thoughts, collecting yes. these ideas, you know, that's sort of seven years ago, isn't it? It's incredible, really, to to think, wow, how did, how did we get here? Yes, I think as a gardener or a designer or anyone really you have to be like a sponge really and you kind of soak up inspiration here and there and then it changes and you park it and then it kind of really bubbles up again and it's just waiting for the right moment and of course the nurture landscapes came along and were interested in doing a Chelsea garden and so this it just felt like the perfect time to make it a reality. So how long has that garden been on the drawing board then, I guess, is my question. You know, yes. when when did this sort of the application process start? When did you have to actually really seriously think about, OK, well, what's this going to be like in reality? You know, how did the ideas begin to form, I guess? Two years ago, I started drawing the visual. So when I start designing, I often think about what mood I want to conjure and what plants I want to use. And I start by doing a kind of drawing, a montage, often in Photoshop. And I think that was about two years ago. And then the application was just over it, like 18 months ago. And it was quite a slow process initially, but it's kind of seriously gathered momentum from September. Ideally, you'd have two years run up, I think, for every show. And this um, garden is particularly ambitious because we've tried to make it as low carbon as possible. And that's a really complicated process and requires a lot more planning than how we would have built gardens, say, 10 years ago, where we wouldn't really have thought so much about the transport mileage or where the materials are coming from. It's fascinating to me that, I mean, actually, um, you know, I, I quite like to explore that a bit more, actually, because there's been a lot of talk and action, quite rightly, around making show gardens more sustainable and giving them a life afterwards and being really aware of carbon footprint, everything else that's connected with that. I mean, why do you think that's important? And could you tell me a little bit more about you know, the challenges that that presents, perhaps? Yes, I mean, the very nature of Chelsea Flower Show is it's a temporary show. So that has immense um, challenges from the kind of sustainable point of view. Thinking about creating this garden in the most sustainable way possible has actually been a real challenge and it's been a greater challenge than I anticipated, actually. It's really about shifting your mindset as a designer and not only do you have to shift your mindset, but you have to shift everyone who's collaborating on that garden's mind shift and really bring them in on the challenge. And it, it shouldn't really be a challenge, but I think we were at this really exciting, but yes, difficult moment in time where we have to change the way we make gardens, the way we can build gardens, think about designing gardens and there has to be a sort of a shift in really giving each project a detailed headspace at the beginning of a project so whereas before maybe we would just come up with ideas and then make those ideas happen now we're increasingly giving a lot of time at the beginning of projects to kind of research what materials are local to a site and what in particular what we're doing inspired by quite a few practices, including local works studios who I've collaborated with 
um, on this garden is to do a material audit or an audit of all the available materials, whether that's like hazel, which is being coppiced locally, a construction site that's digging up brick that would otherwise go to landfill, plant clippings in your garden, hops that are being harvested, just really looking at what materials are around to create a garden. And that's really, it's not a radical idea. It's how we used to create buildings and gardens in the past. But really... By doing that, you're being resourceful and you're minimalizing the movement of materials. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Samsung, Expedia, and Sephora. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. It's fascinating. And I think as well that quite a lot of what you're doing in your in your garden this year, you know, and there's a lot of reclaim materials as well isn't there i mean how how have you gone about sourcing those you know where where do you begin i mean it's very easy isn't it where if you look through a catalog or visit a supplier or whatever and go well, well i want i want that but if you're trying to resource recycled and reclaimed things i imagine that's a bit more of a challenge also you definitely have to be open-minded when you are sourcing reclaimed materials because like you say you can't go and pick out the patterns from a pattern book or, or the sizes of stone from a, a catalogue. You have to um, almost look for the happy accidents. And by that, I mean like stone that might have a cracked edge or timber that might be weathered in an irregular fashion. And all of these materials have a past life and a kind of come with a character that you can either kind of sand away or cut out or you can exploit so there's this whole other level of decision making and it that's really exciting. We've kind of taken it a step further in that I've collaborated with this incredible uh, landscape architectural but I suppose material consultancy firm who look into sustainable 
methods of building called Local Work Studio based in Lewis. And they're incredibly exciting because they take really unattractive materials like broken bits of wine glass or bottle or bits of tarmac or crushed concrete. And then they, it's almost like an act of alchemy. They mix it all up. They use a very, sometimes use a very small amount of cement, but they'll use a kind of low carbon alternative like GGBS and they mix it all together and come up with these air dried bricks or slabs that when polished look like very expensive terrazzo with all the bits of glass and stone glistening. So there's there's sourcing materials and using them like a hazel stick in a in a woven fence or a dead hedge. Or you can take it a step further and actually, you know, create these cooking concoctions. And Yeah, incredible, <laughs> fascinating. I mean, you know, when you think of a, a recycled or a reclaimed material, you literally take it or think of it initially, one does, at um, face value or something that's been used before. And then, you know, you'd reuse it in the same way again. But actually repurposing is and creating something entirely new out of waste is amazing, isn't it, actually? It's incredible. Yes, I hope people will look at the garden and think, wow, that's a compelling and beautiful space. And I hope that they look further and actually see that the garden is made out of um, reclaimed canvases, straw bales, waste render, sand dug out of the ground to make a reservoir that would have gone to landfill. Even the compost, it's all homemade. So Incredible. I know. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm really interested actually in, in the sort of the low carbon side of things. Now, I know you, you know, you mentioned and explained a little bit more about that, but, um, you know, have you literally had to sort of audit all sorts of elements of carbon footprint or how's that worked? Um, yes, oh, we started out with the really high ambition of auditing the embodied carbon of the garden. I spoke to several structural engineers about how to do that and um, it just became really quickly apparent that there just wasn't the data on landscape, that the engineers had the data on architecture. But as soon as you stepped outside into the external world, they kind of just considered it as um, green because you're using plants. When we know, um, anyone involved in building gardens knows, you know, how many concrete features or foundations are poured. So I quickly realised that we, we just haven't got the data yet for that. And so with the help of Local Work Studio, they suggested coming up with this idea of having a kind of transport corridor between the Chelsea Flower Show and Crocus, who are building the garden. So we have this kind of Crocus headquarters where the plants are being grown and where we're making air um, dried bricks and different materials. And just to, to source the materials along this transport corridor so that we just minimalise transport and we just use materials that have a, had a prior use. And there's going to be a bit of embodied carbon involved because... We've got diesel lorries going up and down to the show. We've had to source some trees from abroad because it's really difficult to find any in the UK. We just don't have the same amount of nurseries. But at least if we exhibit at at Chelsea Flower Show, we can kind of highlight what we found difficult and also highlight what's possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think being uh, really open 
about the challenges around it and sharing the experience with others is half of it, isn't it? Because um, we're only going to learn and improve generally <laughs> as, as an industry if people are trying these things and finding out what is feasible. So, no, I think it's, it's completely understandable that, you know, you have to have to try and see and see what you can do. I'm just thinking, you know, talking of challenges and I was thinking about your, your transport corridor between nursery and, and showground, the Chelsea showground, is in the heart, more or less, of our capital city. Yes. <laughs> it's not, it's not um, you know, what you think of when you uh, firsthand think of a flower show, perhaps in a countryside or, a, you know, a county showground or something like that. I mean, what's it like, Crumbs, you know, creating a garden in the middle of a city with all of the, <laughs> you know, city traffic and roads and everything else? Yes. Crumbs, I can't even begin to imagine. Oh, I'm really lucky because I'm a designer and I don't have to you know, drive a huge lorry and wait and queue up outside of the, you know, Battersea Road um, to gain entrance into the showground. And then there's this huge one-way system around the Great Pavilion. And at the beginning of the build, it does smell of diesel um, and it's really noisy. And then gradually the sm- that smell kind of goes and the kind of smell of spring plants kind of starts to perfume the air and and it becomes quieter. And what I love is actually walking to the show because often, you know, you start very early. So you get up at six and you walk walk to the showgrounds or or from the tube and um London's just at its best really early in the morning. Yeah, and then it is it's magic. I mean I have had in the past early entry tickets for press day and if the weather's fine and you've got that really morning, early, mm. early light and, oh, it's In just magic, May. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Coming through the plane trees. Yeah. And then you just get, yeah, you get sucked into your own space and sometimes it can be really hot and sometimes, you know, yeah. cold and muddy. Yeah, but I think the, it's the camaraderie. Yeah, absolutely. And in the and middle of the city. Yeah, you're, you're right. And the, and Chelsea weather is a thing all of its own, isn't it? <laughs> you're quite right. You know, we've uh, you can have blistering heat, and you can be in your shorts, or you can be absolutely frozen absolutely. to the bone, yeah. can't you? So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a special thing, all of it, all of its own. Now. You know, I have been lucky enough to go to Chelsea, and you really see some sights and sounds don't you you know you see interesting people fascinating people interesting things to look at um unimaginable things to look at I mean what what some of the craziest things you've seen when you've been there either as a guest or you know you know as a visitor or as a designer I do remember Dermot Gavin had some crazy thing that went really high in the air. Yes. And there were queues going around. But I can't. was that in 2012? That was. I never managed I remember, to get on it, I think. If I remember <laughs> rightly, there was a slide. Uh, yeah, there was a slide that you could go oh, down. Okay. And, okay. and I do recall that um, it was sort of a big pyramid structure. And at one point they... Um, they filled the, the pyramid right up to the top with Chelsea pensioners. <laughs> and I do remember seeing Brilliant. that and thinking, you're <laughs> never going to see that again ever in, you know, anywhere else in the world you would not you'd not <laughs> see that. So, yeah, it's, it's it, you know, you see the very best, but you do see the craziest too as well sometimes, don't you? So, <laughs> Press day, probably, some of the... Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's all the crazy outfits, the hats, yes. the everything else. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yes. bonkers. What do you enjoy the most about it? What do you enjoy about, you know, either creating a show garden or about Chelsea itself? It's really unfair that the designers kind of get all the 
publicity, really, because it is a huge collaboration. And like last time I was at Chelsea, for example, <laughs> Croker's team worked so hard on creating this huge rammed earth wall in my garden. And that's physically, like it was all built at the showground. It couldn't be pre-built. And it was like, oh, many, many wheelbarrow lifts and vibrating the soil so it can pack down into tight layers like concrete, even though it was just powdered clay and soil and gravel. And so honestly, the team behind the gardens, they work so that they're physically, you know, they're, they're physically broken. And I think it's everyone really pulling together and trusting the vision and really not not only trusting the vision, but believing in it, like really buying into it. It's quite amazing how how hard everyone works and works to one end. Yeah. I mean, the teamwork sounds incredible, actually. I mean, that's really coming across the way you're describing that, you know, and you're right. And it's very it's nice of you to say that um, it's not fair that the designers get all the credit because, you know, you see you see the vast amounts of work that go into these things from so many people, so many people. Growing the plants to, I don't know, turning the compost. Um, yesterday I was painting these huge canvases for the backdrop of, of the garden. But, you know, there's Ashley who constructed the frames and stretched the canvas. B who mixed up paints according to my palette but from like a mixture of linseed flour and natural minerals and waste and then Hannah a friend from art school and me you know applying the color it's it's a complete every aspect of the garden is a complete collaborative effort and also it's quite um you know you do start to trust people on aesthetics if you're working slightly remotely like if you're using waste-based materials you don't have this screened kind of specified mix of gravel it's all kind of coming to you from these different sources so the colors are a bit different so there's natural variations in the process and you have to have these conversations of oh it's looking a bit redder are you okay with that and sort of you know trusting the person on the other end of the phone a little bit and that lack of control is quite exciting oh I think I'd find it terrifying but (laughs) (laughs) a little bit terrifying too probably exciting as well I mean that's the thing isn't it you know if you surround yourself with talented people work with talented people have a talented team then you know there has to be a leap of faith to some extent I'd imagine and then put your trust in people you know and how how empowering for for everyone involved it's brilliant we've talked you know a lot about Chelsea and it is not necessarily big, but it's grand. You know, it's 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 a grand flower show. It's known around the world. And lots of people don't get to go. They get to watch it on TV or whatever, but they don't get the opportunity to, uh, to see these things for real them, themselves. But we're all after an idea or some inspiration or something that we can use in our own gardens at home. So do you think that events like Chelsea are becoming more relatable to home gardeners what do you what do you think about that I do actually I really think they are because when I started garden design we were all looking for very expensive materials on the whole like polished granite or limestone and these very um over-the-top water features and I think there is a real acceptance at the show now for instance the rewilding garden one best in show last year so there is an acceptance that you know weaving with hazel or the craftsmanship of 
garden making it's I feel like it's definitely on the rise rather than how much money can you spend on some very expensive impressive material it's more about how you assemble and put things together and how do you leave spaces for nature and that in itself is embracing a slightly wilder aesthetic of planting and maybe allowing saplings that spring up to kind of grow and maybe we just shape those into cloudy hedges or pollard them or you know I think I really really do sense a shift in attitude which is exciting and it's more domestic in scale so people feel they can relate and they can do that yeah I agree with you actually and that you know the garden that did win uh, best in show last year the you know the rewilding one actually one of the photographs that we took at that show ended up on one of our front covers of the magazine and actually if I'm honest we would never have done that years ago you know it would be very unlikely that that, uh, you know a Chelsea show garden one of our photographs from a Chelsea show garden would never have ended up on our front cover because we'd have felt that it would not relate and that people would feel it wasn't for them but actually we did do it last year so I agree with you 100% I think I think things are actually changing and becoming more accessible to you know everyday gardeners which is brilliant from from my point of view. Yes I think so and I think that's really what we've been trying to do with the Nurture Landscapes Garden is show people that everything in this garden is really really low tech like the materials are commonplace and the making of we've made these huge vessels planters which have been we basically dug holes in the garden soil and cast this very um this kind of low carbon mix with a tiny proportion of cement in and then we're digging out these these planters and every part of the garden we've got these cordage woven which is just like plaited from hops we're using very traditional very low tech techniques to hopefully make something unusual and relatable and i've no doubt beautiful as well <laughs> I'm, hopefully, I, I'm, I'm sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm absolutely sure now i guess i've got a couple of questions actually about about the garden this year what are you most excited about and looking forward to is there any one element of the garden um that you're you know really looking forward to seeing come to life on on site oh yes i think the boundaries of a Chelsea garden are incredibly important because you, you're you're setting the scene, you're creating this world. And so I've always um, put a lot of emphasis on, on the boundary treatment and um, I'm using straw bale walls rendered in waste render and these huge canvases that we've just painted. That is a really exciting moment. But then when you start to put the trees in and you get the shadows on the boundary and the architecture of the space. Oh, that's another really big moment. And then by the time we get to the kind of herbaceous plants, I have a, I get, that's the kind of stressful moment because it's it's trying to like block out the show garden so I can get into the headspace because I am, that's when I become quite controlling, I suppose. <laughs> I really like to hand place every plant pretty much. And that's really exciting, but that has kind of more highs and lows for me. I get incredible high when I'm in the zone but yeah I was going to ask is there anything that's making you nervous at the moment you know I mean I imagine the whole thing must be uh, quite sort of nerve-wracking and exhilarating but you know is there anything that you're thinking oh crumbs I'm not quite sure how that's going to turn out hopefully it'll be all right yeah I think it's this um, because we've been so ambitious at making all these planters all these bricks 
everything from from scratch, you know, that's quite labour intensive. And that's, I suppose that's where the budget of the garden has gone on into, not the raw materials, but the labour in making, the craft in making the garden. Um, You have these little samples of what it's going to be. And until the planters have dried out or the bricks have dried out, you never quite know. It's like when you bake a cake, you never quite know if it's going to rise or not or what colour it's it's going to be. So again, um, I suppose I'm a bit nervous about if there's almost going to be too much texture in the garden because there's so much, um, it's so tactile and earthy and lots of stones and and it's really important when you make a Chelsea garden that there's moments of quiet stillness, that you have this negative space so that you can show off, say, the branching shapes of a a tree to its best advantage or you know the the very um the exquisite patterns of the benton iris does that make sense it does i've got yeah. to make sure that yeah there's not too much going on because that's the danger of chelsea i think people are always tempted to put too much in the gardens yeah yeah i can't wait to see it <laughs> i really i really can't i mean i just wondered you know you've had success real success at Chelsea before does winning a medal play on your mind or does it do you not even think about it what how does that part of it work because it's a thing there's no doubt about it isn't it you know getting a medal is um it's coveted and just a really precious thing to have so yeah how do you how do you feel about that yes you you really want to do your best for your sponsor and for your team like people get really upset (laughs) if you don't if you don't get a, a gold medal so touch wood. But you've just got to do your best. You really have. And I'd rather design a garden. I shouldn't really say this because sponsors will run a mile, but I'd rather do a garden that's really special and that does push at the boundaries because Chelsea is a incredible opportunity for you to be expressive and take risks really as a designer and because it's temporary, you know. No one has to live with it. Um, so... If I created a garden and I didn't really like it myself, but it got a lot of applause, I'm not sure. Yeah, you've got to love it yourself. Yeah, no, I completely understand. Well, we're, you know, we're sort of out of time. I guess all I want to say is I wish you so much luck. It's been, you know, I've really enjoyed talking about what you're going to do. Yes, massive heaps of luck and I just can't wait to see to see it in real life I really can't oh will it be good to meet in person (laughs) (laughs) thanks Sarah thank you thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts and never miss an episode if you've enjoyed this episode please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app 